just died up like a salmon, a spawning salmon. Jitsa! Yes, welcome to another edition of Adelaide United Legends. Tim here with John Luca. That's it. It's good to be man. here. <laughs> and we're here talking to a striker at the peak of his powers, or should I say, a director of football at the end of his tenure, Bruce Jitte. How you going? Thanks for having me on, guys. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's uh, almost uh, coming from the past because when people hear this, you're going to be in your new role. So this isn't going out immediately. So we're actually recording this in Bruce's last week here in the office. We have talked before uh, about your career um, on a previous podcast called More Than Football. We uh, recorded that at Triple M. So for everyone that's listening, if you haven't heard that, it's going to be posted in this same feed. So you'll be able to go back, listen to that, uh, find out more about Bruce's career um, and also heading into the role of director of football. At that point, you'd only been in it for a couple of months, I believe. Uh, and then um, also with the Champions in May documentary, which depending on when you're listening to this is either out now or is coming out soon, you'll hear Bruce talk a lot more about that championship season. So this is all about you as director of football. Cool. So I hope you're ready to um, answer all the hard questions. Mate, no limits. Ask me anything <laughs> you like. Yeah, well, because remember... In theory, you're gone, so you can say whatever you like. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I normally do anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's right, you do. All right, so let's let's just go back to the season that we just had first, and um, you know, what are your thoughts? How do you feel the team is placed going forward? What did you think about the season? Look, I thought we had a good season. Um, at the end of the day, we had a very good season. The only thing that stopped it from being a great season was was not making and winning the grand final. So. Um, the coach did a phenomenal job. The players were, were brilliant. Um, you know, the, the staff were great. Um, I think the way they juggled the the two or three injury crises that we had, there were periods where we were, we were missing players for important players for, for periods of time was handled really well, both by the staff and coaches and also by the players who stepped in and, and stepped up to the plate. So... Um, I think that overall it was a successful season. We've already sold a plane, Ryan Strain. I didn't do that one, but um, you know that's that's all part of the the philosophy we're we're trying to trying to have as a football club. Let's talk about that player turnover. As I said, we're recording this in your final week, but there's also been a week of a few departures. I think. Unfortunately, A-League clubs and clubs like us, including many others, uh, will experience this every season. And I'd argue that, you know, you see it in leagues all over the world, particularly further down the pyramid, you know, in England, wherever else. But uh, why does it happen and what do you, why does it happen so much, do you feel? And what are your views on that? Is it a symptom of the cap or something else or, um, or a bunch of things? Yeah, it's a bunch of things. Um, the cap's an issue. Budgetary constraints can be an issue. You know, the level of the players can be an issue. Um, the direction clubs are going in can be an issue. All those things put together can see six or seven players quite easily leave per season, not too dissimilar to, to leagues abroad. Um, like you said, especially lower down the, the, the pyramid, it's more prevalent. So I think it's a combination of factors. And you you, you try to 
keep obviously the ones that that, that you want to keep. It's not always possible. You know, I'd be disappointed to see players we want to keep here depart to another A-League club. Um, I'm all for players we want to keep here going on to bigger and better things abroad. I think that's just part and parcel when you realise um, or recognise where we sit on the food chain in the global football ecosystem. Yeah, and that's more often the case, isn't it? The players are going to a league overseas, test themselves over there. I think maybe in the past, you know, players went to – and you see at other clubs, they go to other A-League clubs. But I think in our case, more often than not, it is that they're going international. Yeah, more often than not, mm, mm, they have been going overseas. I think you may start to see some gone to other A-League clubs. Um, but some of those players, the coaches or the, 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 the team, I'd call it, in terms of football director, football manager, coaches – decide that you know they're either not going to play because sometimes you know what if they're young playing they're not going to play there's no point keeping them anyway um if they've got a legitimate chance of playing then you definitely want to keep those guys so it's just a, depends on how you want to balance out your your squad but with us keen on having a south australia focus i think it's important to keep south australians here mm-hmm. what about some of those south australians that left recently yeah disappointing for a lot of them um, a couple were very hard done by, in my opinion. But again, sometimes, you know, with budgetary and resources constrained, you know, you, you've got to try and make it all fit. And <laughs> more often than not, it doesn't all fit. Um, people fall by the wayside. Would you prefer to see the salary cap either increased or gone altogether? Ideally, yes. I think you've got to be able to commercialise the product better. I don't think we generate the revenues that warrant an increase in the cap or a removal of the cap. And that's the sport as a business. That's the players as assets to those businesses. They're just not valuable enough today. And that's reflected in the TV deal. As that value increases, which I think it will um, in the next four to five years, uh, then yes, I think the cap goes up. And I think you know, you can start working towards not having a cap. Obviously, you boys know in our case, it's around budget and the caps are relevant to us. So that's where the pinch points lie. And there's a handful of clubs who have the, the same issues and, and that's when you start to see the player circulation that fans tend to complain about with the recycling of players. Yeah, what about uh, transfers between A-League clubs? Thoughts on that? As a possibility in the future, maybe? Yeah, I think it's, of course, we should have transfer between A-League clubs, we should have transfer between A-League and NPL clubs, we should have transfer between A-League and State League clubs. That's all well and good in theory. The reality is it doesn't work within the constraints of a salary cap. Then I just, I find that, that there'll be, a, in theory, it's fantastic. In reality, uh, very challenging to, to implement such a scheme with so many constraints already. Mm, okay, so do you there think- could be some mechanisms, and I think you can move towards having an open transfer system, but you'd have to do it step by step and start to implement some mechanisms in there. Maybe you know transfers sit outside the cap, and you know they can be capped at a certain amount. I don't know how it works. Um, yeah, do you think they could only work without a salary cap, or do you think that you could still have the salary cap, like you mentioned, the transfer fees, the outside of that? Because it's pretty tricky how all that works. Very challenging, and it only work for like one or two clubs. It's challenging, and then there's no guarantee that that transfer money that's 
um, produced or the, the transfer fees generated are being reinvested. Like you might want to quarantine that because we don't have the maturity of uh, and the money, to be fair, um, or sophistication of, of, you know, the clubs overseas, um, then to implement that system, you know, you, you know, there's just no guarantee. There's no guarantee. Like you can't just have that. You need to have prize money. You need to have, you know, other things associated. You need to incentivize the clubs to spend. You need to incentivize the clubs to spend first before implementing those things, in my opinion. Because if there's no incentive, like it's great to win the grand final, you play in Champions League, but if that's not lucrative enough, why would you spend $500,000 on player fees before even getting uh, contracts and stuff done? Uh, you know, if you, if you get a million dollars for winning the A-League, different discussion, you know? If there's relegation, different discussion. Like you need a carrot and stick approach um, in order to incentivize, you know, the, the the spend. Do you think all that's going to? Um, we kind of dovetail into this, but do you think um, that's coming? Like from your talks with people in the league? I, I think so. I think it's in time. I think not within this TV deal, but if you know the Gregor Rourke's and the Danny Townsends and and you know these guys really start to drive this APL model, Channel 10's on board, they do the private equity raise, um, they invest in, in uh, an online platform, um, an app, they really start to build out these assets um, and that investment is made strategically and carefully and all the rest of it, then I think then in five years or in four years or in three and a half years when you're back in the market for TV deals, you can get a serious uplift in the next TV deal. The owners and APL can get a serious uplift in their valuations of their licenses, et cetera, and their assets. That's when it all starts to filter through and that's when it's shackles can start to be taken off and free market can reign and all that sort of stuff. I think doing it now would be counterproductive. Fast forward. Say you had all that stuff now, how do you think that would have affected your role this past little while? Oh, well, we'd be operating in a much larger landscape, a much broader and bigger sport with a lot more influence. I think it would change the fundamentally change the sophistication and size and scale of the organisation, change a lot of things. I'd have more staff. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, look, the, let's jump back to talking about your role. I mean, the last time we actually did this and, and, and talked, uh, you mentioned one of the biggest challenges initially was around the youth team and managing expectations, you know, of kids and parents and things like that. I imagine now with everything that's transpired, perhaps the biggest challenge uh, was bringing that department, the football department, through a pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the youth and A-League are well aligned now. There's a lot of change since, since then. All those sort of projects have been completed. I think they've been completed well. Brought in Ayrton as a full-time head of youth. Um, the youth team trains where the A-League trains. There's complete integration in the programs. We've done what we said we were going to do. Everyone acknowledges and sees that now, whereas before... There was a bit of skepticism, like they're saying all the right things, but are they actually going to do any of this stuff? I think we've we've hit all those nails on the head. 
Then you throw COVID in, that was extremely challenging. It was a fantastic experience in terms of managing a crisis, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, when you look back on it, obviously at the time it was a very precarious situation. This sport's precarious enough as it is, but that was a huge challenge. But it also did give us an opportunity to sit back and look at what we are as a club, you know, values, mission, football philosophy, none of that stuff was written down. Everyone had it in their minds. You guys had it in your minds, but none of it was written down. So, you know, we went to work on that. We consulted members. Um, we did a survey with, with them, um, got their feedback, got past players in from all the generations um, to get their feedback. And, and we formulated this document now and put it down on paper. So, you know, the next football director that comes in, the next CEO that comes in, the next head of comms and, and marketing that comes in now has something that they can pick up and, you know, they don't have to pick it up and run with it. They can pick it up and tweak it, but there's some there's some foundation there. Um, we did the same with the head coach recruitment. You know, we, we spoke to clubs abroad, clubs here, federations here, people who'd done it before, um, gathered all their ideas, um, we had our mission, vision, and values, um, the Adelaide United way of, of doing things and what we needed. So we collated all that and, and built our own sort of um, head coach uh, recruitment process and, you know, scoring method, what's important to us and all this sort of stuff. And it landed us a great coach in Carl Veard. So we were big on that, gone through a proper process considering we know 90% of the candidates or people who wanted the job or, or what have you. We didn't want any bias creeping in. So we ran a proper process and we ended up with the best result, which is best practice. Before we get to that, we have the shutdown last season. Gurchin decides he's going to return home. So just explain a little bit of what that whole craziness was like because, you know, as, even as staff were like, what's going on? Like no one – even outside of here knew what was going to happen. We go into lockdown, what's happening? Everyone's panicking. Everyone's like unsure about what's mm. going on with their jobs. Yeah, and- before JobKeeper as well, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. So at that time, just explain a little bit about, yeah, how uh, that transpired with, with Gershon deciding to go home and where the, the squad and everything was at before appointing Carl as interim. Yeah, it was a significant issue. Um you know, humans by nature don't like uncertainty. So if you give someone good news, great, they're happy. If you give someone bad news, they're disappointed, but they know where they stand. Uncertainty, that's what really really rattles people. And, you know, if you cast your mind back to March, April last year, there was an abundance of uncertainty. Just look at the share market, what that did. Like, that's a pretty good gauge. It was difficult conversations. You know, the, the chairman made the decision that everyone was to be stood down and then passed on that responsibility to me and Nathan. So that was no fun. You know, two days in here basically calling people with zero answers, zero uh, foresight into the future, zero certainty. And you could tell, especially the players were very concerned. Um, the foreigners don't get JobKeeper, extremely upset. But, you know, they also understood we were just passing on a message. We had nothing to do with the decision-making and process there. So that's why, especially on the back of this season, I'm so proud of everyone because they've made a lot of sacrifices to arrive to the semi-final this season, for example. You know, so 
yeah, really tough time. And like you guys, just had had no idea. We're a club with very limited financial resources at the best of times. So with COVID hitting, there was legitimate concern about the viability of the club and, you know, with foreign owners, it's also a challenge in terms of, you know, how much are they willing to invest or how far are they willing to put their hands in their pockets to keep the club alive when it's seven, 8,000 kilometres away, more, and, um, you know, you know like what, what's the commitment? You know, it's really unknown. So, you know, credit to them. They stuck, they, they, they hung tough. Um, obviously, everyone took a lot of sacrifices in not being paid and, and all the rest of it. But, um, yeah, it was a challenging time because in a leadership position, you want to give people reassurances when the proverbial hits the fan and, you know, you want to be able to give some, uh, make some decisions, give some insight into what's happening, answer the questions or be able to get the answer. We weren't able to do any of those things. So, yeah, challenging, especially for those on the brunt of the bad news. Yeah, and then add to the uncertainty, needed to find another coach. Yeah, how did that go down? Was did, Were you just speaking to Gersh and he was like, I, I need to return home? Because, I mean, it was understandable he wanted to go home. Yeah, and he wanted to go home and he got stood down. It was like a double whammy. So that, I think, made his mind up. Like, well, I'm definitely going home now. Um, there was no, there was no um, certainty or there wasn't even any chance in anyone's mind that the league was going to come back as quickly as it did. Mm. You know, everyone looked overseas and what COVID was doing there and like, well, we're in for that here. Um, obviously, we did a much better job here by like closing the borders, shutting down, all this sort of stuff. But... Um, yeah, it was uh, it was it was tough for Gurchin and especially his wife and, and daughter. They didn't want to go, um, but at the end of the day, better to be closer to your family if the world's ending than to be thousands of miles yeah. away. Yeah, that's right. So then we obviously appoint Carl Intram, does a fairly good job in the hub. Was that an immediate thing? Do you think? Well, okay, we've got Carl on staff. That's an easy. Easy choice for interim. No, oh, for interim, yeah, it was interim. Was it was easy, like you know. And we said, look, you'll get it as interim. We're going to run a process to search for the head coach. And he's like, yeah, I want to be the head coach. I'm going to take this opportunity with both hands. I'm like, oh, that's good. I didn't say that time, but I was thinking it in my mind. Yeah. You know, I'm like, oh, that's good. Because to be honest, initially I just thought he wanted to be assistant for a few years and all that, but he wanted to jump straight in. Um, and he did an exceptional job in, in the hub. We played the top five teams, didn't lose a game. That ultimately made up our mind, but, and we kept Carl across all of our um, interviews and stuff. You know, it was, we're interviewing now. Um, obviously, the time on when we told him was, was uh, we're very careful um, because there were games and all the rest of it. Um, and, you know, we interviewed, we did two rounds, the hub as, they carried on game three, game four. It's like, well, Carl's putting his best foot forward here. He's, he's very high up on the list. And then we paused interviews on the back of how well Carl was doing and ended up hiring Carl after going through the philosophy, what we want to do. You know, instead of the coach coming in and trying to mold the whole club, we thought let's mold what the club is first and plug the coach that fits in. 
and and Carl fit hand in glove. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, as we talk about here, he's one of the legends of the club as well. So he understands. I think coming in, especially at that time, you know, being we've talked a lot about the whole South Australian thing, but he is South Australian. He's played here. He's he's been involved here previously. You're right. He does fit like a glove. And then being Australian on top of that, no disrespect to anyone or any of the coaches from overseas, but understands the players, the culture, the climate here, even down to how hard the pitches can be here in Australia, like that type of thing and the training methods. Yes, we had a lot of injuries this last season, which we'll we'll, we'll get into. But yeah, I think all those things seem to just obviously come together. Mm. And they did. And they did. And, you know, history will show you that Australian coaches win the A-League seven times more frequently than foreign coaches. So, you know, the, the pays to have a, a Aussie coach, in my opinion. Maybe not in the early days because, you know, not many had that pro licenses and all the rest. It was a new league and we need to import talent or knowledge. Um, now I don't think that's the case at all. Yeah, and you got Anjit Celtic. Pretty bloody good export, isn't he? Yeah, he's not bad. Um, even if he caused us a few pain as an opposition coach over the years. But, yeah, it's good to see. So with... With Carl, this past season, as you said, you know, we did well. Um, proud of how the team went. There was a few, like, streaky patches there and everything. But how have you, how do you feel like you've seen Carl progress over that time and as a coach and what he's learned? Yeah, I think it's been great. I think um, people forget how new everyone is. You know, I've been football director for two years, not a long time. Um, Nathan's been CEO for, you know, what, three, four years, not a great deal of time. Um, Carl's been a head coach for one year, not a great deal of time. Um, Eugene's been goalkeeper coach for a year, not a great deal. You know, two years now. Stefan Walk's been captain for a season, you know, not a great deal of time. So there's a lot of first-timers, if you like, in um, in the club in general. Um, because we all work so cohesively and together, no one's coming with, all the ideas and this is my way, this is the way to do it. Everyone's really collaborative and when you work as a team, um, any blind spots get picked up by someone else. Um, you know, people figure things out together and you get strength through diversity of, of views and, you know, decision-making and, and characters and everyone's got a lot of um, – everyone's got a lot of experience, football experience, you know, and the, the, the crossover of that um, helps me in my role, helps Carl as a coach, helps Nathan as CEO, um, helps Eugene and, and ultimately helps the club. And I think that's, you know, that's what's made us relatively successful, especially this last season. Um, it's not, you know, I've got an eye for talent and I'm finding all these players or whatever. It's not Carl's, you know, supreme being that you know is is the best coach in the world or that you know nathan's the the you know the the leader of all ceos or anything like that it's that everyone works together as a team everyone works hard and and 99 times out of 100 we make the right decision yes we still make a lot of mistakes along along the way but ultimately we we arrive to the destination where we want to be and i think that's also contributed to the team culture as well. Like culture can be overstated as well, but I feel like it, that's as good as it's been in the squad 
probably for a long time, despite I know some players have left, but it still seems very tight. Yeah, it is very tight. Um, always has been amongst the players. I think what we've managed to do now is bring the admin staff and the coaches into it. Um, you speak to the players, even uh, I was speaking to Michael Maroney yesterday, someone who's been here for 10 odd years, and he's like, the club's finally back to what it was, you know, when 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 it was the good old days, a lot of people call it. So um, I'm most proud of that. And it's exemplified in the people that come from the outside in. So you speak to the Spaniards, Juan de Ojavi, or you speak to Cavallo or Caletti or Delianov, guys that have come outside in, they're like, this is the best club in the world. This is the best environment I've ever been involved in. Like, I've never dreamt that it could be this enjoyable to be part of a club. Um, and, and you know, that's what makes me the, the happiest, if I'm honest. Yeah, that's encouraging to hear as well. Yeah, it is. Staff, it really is. You know, because... That... You just got to try to keep them all together now. Yeah, that's right. And, like, that's that's the challenge. How, how have you been able to face that as well with, you know, the different pressures and the different, uh, you know... F- players wanting to go overseas as well let's not forget that players actually do want to go overseas yeah. it's not that, that we're just selling them off that seems to get ignored a fair bit it like it's like you were saying before bruce it's hard to if the offer is right as well it's hard to say no to that player and say you're not going overseas yeah i think it's a bit unethical if i'm honest considering the salary cap and the salaries they're getting here versus what they can get overseas but um i remember when i first came is i just been sold Goodwin was the first sale I did. He had a clause in his contract already, so we had no say on that one. And everyone was like, you know, the sky's falling down. We lost his ears. We've lost Goodwin. It's going to be a disaster. But in came Riley. You know, um, what a phenomenal season he had. Um, we put together a good squad that year. Um, just missed out on finals by a point, I think, in the end after the debacle around. January, Feb, when we were losing a lot of games by by some big margins. And then we sold Riley, we sold Izzo, we sold um, Lockie Brook, Nikola Miliusnic went overseas as well. Um, And again, the sky was falling down. Who's going to replace Riley's goals? Who's going to, you know, replace Izzo, who's been the best keeper um, we've had since Eugene, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But we got Delianov, we brought back Goodwin. you know, we had Tommy Urich come in. Muhammad came out of nowhere. Um, Cassini stepped up for periods this season despite his numerous injuries. You know, everyone's replaceable. <laughs> but what I'll say, Nathan, yesterday was every year it is harder to replace because not a conveyor belt of talent. It's not like Spain where you're just like picking up five or six players every year. You know, we don't even have an academy yet. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, Riley's not coming back. Goodwin did. You know, Isaias isn't coming back. Tommy did. Like, there's a bit of luck involved as well. Um, and it's not it's not the most sustainable strategy unless you invest more into what lies beneath. And that's the youth program and, and lower than that. Else you end up, you know, with a bit of a purple patch like Central Coast Mariners had in a period with Amini and Rogic and Mitch Duke and Abini and Matt Ryan and these guys. But once they're gone, there was no conveyor belt of talent filling those gaps. Um, we're lucky the NTC program's good. Carl's a big reason for that, obviously. Um, and Ayrton. 
that these guys have been coming through to Ray, Lockie Brook, Johnny Yale's still to come, Popovich is still to come. Um, there's been some good young young boys coming through. But yeah, every year it, it, it will get more difficult without, you know, more investment being put in at that younger age. Yeah, um, let's talk about some of those players that did leave at the, between the two seasons. So I think the perception is that, oh, we just sold them off and, you know, the money wasn't reinvested. I think a portion of it was, but also at, after COVID as well, that freed up, I think, um, well, freed up funds to sign other players, but also that helped, let's be honest, keep the club afloat as well at the same time. Oh, yeah. The, the club would have fallen over. I mean, yeah, it, it just depends what which angle you look at it. Like, obviously, when I used to play, my argument would have been, well, why don't the own, owners just cover the gap like they own the club if you're going to own a club then you've got to be able to cover the gaps but this was COVID and the core business of everyone yeah. was getting decimated too <laughs> it's yeah. like it's like you're just a football club like I've got a whole uh, you know I've got a whole industry here that is shut down like you're the luxury item I've got to save this because without this I don't have anything else you know, so I can understand it from from their their point of view as well. But yeah, it was a it was a difficult period. You know, the transfer fees. Look, I think we generated a lot of money over the last two years, and the spending on the the players is always the best place to put it. But then you got to put it somewhere else. All right, so I think um, we've talked, we've gone over quite a a few of the challenges. That's you know, pretty clear. Uh, but what are you most proud of achieving in your time as director of football? I mean, that link that you talked about before is obviously a massive thing. Don't know. I don't really reflect on stuff. I never have time. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think um, I think I assembled a good team. I think the coaches and the players are all really good. There's not anyone I'd change, and that's really good. I think that's it. Put a good team together. Team, I don't mean players. I mean everyone. Um, Is there one signing yeah. that sticks out? Maybe that you that you were proud of. Oh, that you look, managed there's to get some the transactions line? that were really successful. Like we bought Riley. He played really well. We sold him for a multiple of what we bought him for. Um, you know that was good business. Lockie Brook played five games. We sold him some good money. That was good business. So financially, I think it's been exceptional. Um, culturally and and the environment created here has been good. I think it's been really good. I think I've always been honest with people. Like I cut Ross Aloisi's son from the youth team, but I was very honest with him, you know. Angelo Costanzo's son, you know, these are guys I have personal relationships with, but it's an integrity discussion. So just because you're my mate doesn't mean I can do you a favour. Didn't do anyone a favour. Everyone's there on merit, you know, and that's good because it's, challenging to have those discussions with with people sometimes but you've got to do what's right i think i've always done what's right i can always sleep easy at night yeah, yeah. always done what's right the boys know even players that we've said to go um margush amiento like i think if we kept them here they'd be playing mpl now okay. and is that the fact that we told them early and were helpful in them getting their moves you know, Margush is number one keeper at Western Sydney Wanderers. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's really good. He wouldn't be number one if he stayed here. 
he might have been. Izzo left, Isaac got Isaac retired and, and went on to his MMA stuff, maybe through circumstance, but he's done this through merit. Yeah. You know, he's gone, he's done well. Went to Perth and he's gone to Wanderers, he's done well, he's number one. You know, we're not in the business of hoarding players. Yeah, so those those boys that left uh, in the recent scholarship update at the end of June, is that the same sort of theory you feel like if they now move on to other clubs that perhaps they'll get a better chance? Oh, definitely. And I reckon a couple of them will probably play at other clubs regularly. Yeah. Um, none of them played regularly here. Dakota didn't make an appearance. Noah was playing till he got a spate of injuries that, 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 that ruled him out. Then Cavallo came in. He can play left back. You've got Kiddo there. You know, Harvey played really well there before he did his knee. You know, you can keep him and he becomes third or fourth in the pecking order. He's playing MPL for most of the season next year. Like, he's getting too old for that now. Whereas he probably plays another team, A-League, regularly. So it's better for him. And I always say to the players, what's best for the players, best for the club. I guess like probably from a fan's point of view, they're probably thinking, well, if he can go play for another team, then why can't he become first choice here? So He can, but we overloaded in that position. It's it's about uh, we've got very limited resources, so you've got to make decisions that allow for the greater good. It's called utilitarianism. You know, you've got to make decisions that are for the greater good. So, yes, it would be great to keep one or two of those players, but because we're keeping those players, might mean two or three key players that are definitely going to play week in, week out as a starter fall off the back of their wagon and all of a sudden you're keeping a player who's not going to play anyway, so he's not going to be that happy anyway. So, of course, if we had a bigger budget and all the rest, you'd keep them. You would keep them in case you have injuries, um, you know, National Youth League might come back as well as NPL so they get enough games in. You know, they sit outside the cap because they're scholarships and all the rest, but we just don't have those sort of funding, that, those sort of funds, sorry. So that forces, you know, myself and the coaches because we all do it collaboratively. No one's making unilateral decisions here, but, you know, that forces us to make these decisions where people are like, well, about South Australia, you just four young South Australians go. It's like, yeah, I know, it's a problem. But there's, you, you know, can't hold everyone, can you? You can't. You know, there's only 11 that can play. Teams lose players all the time. Real Madrid, man, you, you know, they lose players as well. Chelsea, <laughs> especially at youth level. You just don't hear about it here. Heaps moving in and around, you know. Pogba left Man U, went to Juventus for free. They bought him back for 100 million euro. Like, why should we feel that we're better than those guys, which are much better resourced and much more sophisticated than us? And and in many cases, you haven't burnt that bridge anyway. So they, a bit like how Goodwin, for example, sort of earned his trade actually interstate, but we got him back and it could become a key player. So exactly. if in the future... Say a Cavallo was to leave in two or three years' time. You bring back an, an, an SA boy interstate if there's no one coming through in the youth team at the time. That's right. You'd bring an SA boy back interstate. Um, say, say um, Izzo, McGree, they yeah, all did it. Exactly. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like, you can go away and come back. I yeah. mean, obviously, we want the best ones to stay, stay here. here. Yeah. Um, but if they're not going to play, like, you cannot produce everyone. Yeah. Only 11 can play 90 minutes. That's it. Yeah, we don't get the luxury of playing with 18. 
yeah. and everyone else plays with 11. We play with 11 like everyone else. So let them go away. We can't develop them all, and then we'll bring them back. If they develop really well, um, like a couple of those boys should, we'll bring them back then. Yeah, I guess no if, harm if, in that. if you take like a holistic view as well, it's actually quite a good endorsement that here in South Australia we are producing so many good footballers at, at the moment, it feels like, yeah. even if they are going interstate and playing and then coming back or whatever. I did an interview the other day. I think South Australia had the most or second most. Yeah, it could have been second most just behind New South Wales. Yeah, which A-League is players. players. Mm. Which, which is remarkable. I look Considering at, population. Yeah, and yeah. then especially Victoria with three A-League teams now and SA still had more. You wonder, and that's, I guess, you wonder, why those Vic- yeah, you wonder why those Victorian clubs aren't looking at the Victorian NPL and, yeah, and poaching the best there. They seem to <laughs> take a few from Adelaide. That's right. And there was a time where the national teams at all levels were made up with mostly players from the Eastern States. Mm. So now we might see a few more creeping in. I know the Ollie Roos uh, squad came out. I think it was too many South Australians in there yet, but, you know, in a few years' time. Can happen. Yeah. All right, so we've done uh, a pretty good job of looking back. I think we covered most things. Um, I'm not going to ask you about James Troy. See, that's all done, and that's been that's out there. People can find all of that. Um, but just quickly, do you think that impacted our season with him leaving so late? Do you think that impacted the squad and the season and where we may have ended up? I don't think so. I think if you keep him, you don't get Goodwin and Tommy. I think each of those guys have better stats than what he had for the whole season and they come in late. So in terms of goals and assists, Goodwin's done more in three months. Financially and on field, have worked in our favour on both fronts. Looking forward, you're obviously no longer here when people hear this. How do you feel the club's positioned? Do you feel you're leaving it? in the best possible spot for your successor to pick up and I think so, it. definitely. It'd be good if I could get a couple more boys over the line before I left, um, do a bit more heavy lifting for whoever comes in next. Um, but regardless, I think, I know, well, I know that the club is in the best position for growth it ever has been. TV deal um, is good. Um there's there's free-to-air exposure now. I think with increased investment in the organisation that it'll grow exponentially. Do you know what I mean? But you need to invest in it. I think if you just leave it as is, then it'll just carry on. We punch above our weight and all the rest of it. But I think with a bit more investment, not a great deal more, but a bit more investment, you can really be a constant force a la Sydney FC, Melbourne City's on that track now, you know, and no one's saying we have to be the highest spending team or we're not even talking about player salaries, we're talking about infrastructure, player budget, just a little bit more, um, those sort of things. If, if, if you start to see that investment coming in, um, you know, the stadium's going to be re, re, revamped, it's going to be really good. All those things put together will, will ensure that Adelaide United is a force, not just next season, but for the next 10 seasons minimum. Um, but again, without that, um, you know, the, the, the club will do well, it'll have its good years, it'll have its bad years, but it'll be status quo. I think now you there, there's a genuine opportunity to be Adelaide United a force in the A-League as opposed to Adelaide United, the teams that wins one grand final every decade, you know. Um, I think we've got a legitimate opportunity now. Um, everything's set up. 
you've got your coaches there, you've got the alignment with the youth, you've got good players now, you've got good people everywhere. It's like when I first came in the Bianco days. It's really good. And they were a force then. They won the premiership, they were making grand finals quite regularly. You know, we're on the cusp of getting getting back to to, to that status. And, and, you know, I don't think it takes too much for us to land there. Yeah, so do you feel like with that, with what you're saying, kind of sounds like you feel a fair amount of satisfaction and feel like you've achieved a lot, if not all of what you set out to do. So you, that's perhaps one of the big factors in your yeah, it decision is. to move on. It is. I remember when um, Pete offered me the job, he said, you know, culture, environment, young players coming through, sell players overseas, you know, and I believed in that. Um, and I still believe in it, obviously. But we've done all of that. You know, Riley deal was good. Lockie Brook deal was good. Um, you know, Strain's deal just now was good. Izzo's deal was good. Um, they're all good deals. And um, so we've got the the young players. We've played the young boys. The Toure's have come through. Cassini's come through. Cavallo's doing well. Delianov's great. Gauchy's done really well. Strainy did well. There's, there's you know, Riley, there's an abundance of young South Aussies that are doing well. Um, we've got SA coaches now, you know, bonus are the club legends. You've got Ross, you've got Carl, you've got Eugene. Um, you've got a guy that, you know, basically ran football at Football South Australia for, for coaching the coaches and, and obviously junior players um, for over 15 years. He's our head of youth. You know, the change room's really good. The environment's good. Everything's good. Everything's been done. I think it's time for someone else to come in with new energy and pick that up, put their spin on it, and run with it. Um, but like I said, it's it's perfectly set up for growth. All the turbulence we've we've gone through, yeah. uh, especially with the COVID. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that would that drained everyone, so it's not surprising. But did you think that you you Tick all those things off so quick? Perhaps? No, I didn't. I thought it'd take heaps longer than this. Yeah. I thought it'd take double time. COVID sped a lot of things up. Yeah. COVID sped a lot of things up. Yeah. There's a, you know, never crisis. There's opportunity, my friend. But no, COVID sped a lot of things up. And, you know, you can't just come in and, and change everything in a day. It takes time, build relationships and all the rest of it. I think we've done that. I think another great thing... That, that we did was repair the relationship between the club, Football South Australia, and the club and, and local clubs, NPL, State League. I really think we repaired that relationship. We put in some processes that, that stopped any friction. And, you know, I'm really proud of that because at the end of the day, you know, we're just one big community club. You know, they're all community clubs. They're just a little bit smaller in profile than us. Um, but, but we're all striving for the same thing. And I think we worked really well with both the federation and, and um, uh, the local clubs. And I think that'll continue going forward. That's really important. Mm. Okay. Well, look, I think we'll leave it there. Thank you for taking the time to sit down with us. And one last time, congratulations on becoming CEO of the Committee for Adelaide. Thank you for everything you've done as a player and as a staff member here at Adelaide United on behalf of everyone, Adelaide United and the fans. Thanks again, Bruce. Thanks, Bruce. <laughs> thanks, thanks for having me on. Uh, just an applause. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. <laughs>